You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dulovan Barwari. On behalf of the KRG mission in the U.S., I wish Christians in Kurdistan, Iraq, North America, and around the world a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Welcome to the 12th episode of Season 3. In this episode, I have the honor of speaking with Mr. Martin Manna, a member of the Chaldean American community in Michigan. Our discussion is centered around the Christian community, Chaldeans, Syriacs, and Assyrians in America, and their situation in the Kurdistan region and Nineveh Plains. We also discussed his recent trip to Kurdistan. Mr. Manna is the president of the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce and Chaldean Community Foundation. The Chaldean Chamber of Commerce represents the estimated 25,000 Chaldean-owned businesses in Michigan. The Chaldean Community Foundation provides social services to more than 40,000 new Americans annually. Martin is also the publisher of the Chaldean News, a monthly magazine distributed to over 10,000 Chaldean households, and the manager of the Archangel Fund, which supports early-stage startup investments. And now, a very warm welcome to Mr. Martin Manna. Welcome to the Kurdistan in America podcast, Martin. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. Let's begin our discussion by learning about your story. You're a Chaldean American, but what part of Iraq are you originally from? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's great to be on my uh, family. I'm youngest of eight here. Uh, we live here now in the Detroit, Michigan area. But my mom and dad were originally from the Nineveh Plain area. So my dad from a small village called Bakofa, which is uh, near Al-Qosh, and my mom from a bigger Chaldean village uh, by the name of Tilkiev. They lived most of their lives, though, in Baghdad before emigrating here to the United States. Five of my brothers and sisters were actually born in Baghdad and then migrated here in the late 1960s. The last three of us were born in Detroit. Okay, so you're basically a Chaldean-American in, in the real sense that you were born in America, in America. Right, right. Have you had any chance? Do you have any memories? Have you visited there? Or do, what are the most common memories that you hear if you haven't visited? Well, I tell you, I mean, um, just growing up in the Detroit area, um, I have kind of... Uh, I. I always tell people, although I'm, I'm an American, my heart really is still in Iraq and in that part of the world, just because uh, we grew up in an environment and a culture that was very much uh, Iraqi culture, Chaldean culture. Um, and and so uh, although we're, we're American, a lot of, of our history, our culture still is uh, back in, uh, in, in Iraq. Absolutely. So you have this dual type of identity. When when you when you talk about yourself, when you think about yourself, yeah, and you know, a lot of our work and and which we'll we'll probably cover at some point uh, deals with supporting our our community uh, in Iraq. So although um, I wasn't born there, I've had visited a couple times now, and uh, much of our work of our organization is focused on aiding the people in that region. Very interesting. Now we could turn to that, but let's first talk about the Chaldean American community in America specifically the one that you're at in Detroit, which is the largest and most established. Now, can you tell our listeners first about Chaldeans? How would you describe a Chaldean to an American 
who has never heard about Chaldeans, about the faith or the people? Yeah, and, and so we get that question often, right? I mean, outside of Detroit or other parts of the United States where we have a large population, people don't really know what a Chaldean is. And so we've, we've helped uh, just summarize and I think simplify uh, what, what the answer has been. But to many Americans, they also don't know what a Chaldean was until we migrated here. And we often tell them that Chaldeans are like the American Indians of Iraq. They predate the Arabs. They've been there for quite some time. They have a history spanning some 5,500 years, dating back all the way to Mesopotamia, which is known as the cradle of civilization, the land between two rivers. And so uh, we help explain that this community has a long history and has been a part of uh, uh, that the fabric of Iraq for quite some time. Uh, the community also is Eastern Rite Catholic, which means that we predate the Roman Catholic Church, this rite is unique because it, it helps maintain our own uh, liturgy, our own history, our own culture within the Roman Catholic Church now. Other Eastern Rite churches would be like the Assyrian Church of the East. You have the uh, Egyptian Coptic Church, the Lebanese Maronite Church, and there's others. Uh, so we are Eastern Rite Catholic. We've united with Rome, um, um, and but maintain our own identity. Another definition of how we define our communities by language. We speak Aramaic, which is the longest continuously spoken language. It's a dialect of what Jesus Christ would have spoken. And um, we have uh, just some unique um, hierarchy within our, our church. The Chaldean Patriarch is the head of our church. He's known as Patriarch of Babylon for the Chaldeans. He's uh, been in Baghdad right now. It's Patriarch Luis Sacco. Uh, the Pope is our highest authority, but we maintain other traditions. For example, uh, we have our own Chaldean Catholic bishops that are different than Roman Catholic bishops. So uh, I know that's kind of a, a longer uh, a summary, but that's how we, we help people define who Chaldeans are. That's pretty fascinating. Now, when as you were describing it, two, two civilizations came to my mind, two empires, the Babylonians and the Assyrian Empire that existed. Uh, and they coexisted at some sometimes. Now, how would you describe that? Now, there are also Assyrians, Chaldeans, and Assyrians speak Aramaic, but do they understand each other? And yeah, it's how very, are they tied to the Babylonians and the Assyrian Empire? Sure. Yes. Yeah, so the the briefly the the Chaldean Assyrian uh, community are really one and the same. Um, we have unfortunately a community of Chaldean Assyrian Syriac. They all speak. Uh, Aramaic. It may be very uh, different. It may be just minimally different by the dialects, but really these are the same people. The only difference is, is our church split at some point in history. There was an Assyrian dynasty. There was a Chaldean dynasty, but really these are the same people that originated from the same areas, which is Iraq, Syria, parts of Iran, parts of Turkey. Uh, but we don't really differentiate. And here in America, there's a large Chaldean community in Metro Detroit, there's a large Assyrian community in Chicago. And then we have communities in, in places like California, Nevada, um, Arizona that are either Chaldean or Assyrian. So really, uh, again, the same people speak the same language, have a unique, similar history, uh, but um, just have different uh, hierarchies within their churches. Thanks for sharing that. Now, how big is the community? Yeah, so it, just to, to give you a sense of that, I mean, uh, we go back to, again, my family originating in Iraq. My dad fled uh, Saddam Hussein and the regime. He actually worked for a Kurdish newspaper. And uh, he left uh, Baghdad, uh, took the family to Iran, then Lebanon, eventually made his way to Detroit. 
just because of the fact that there was automotive uh, opportunities here in Detroit, you know, Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company. And so they came to Detroit like many other Chaldeans for work. Fortunately, many of them didn't understand the language. He actually worked for a different plant, didn't work for the Ford Motor Company uh, and went back and sp spent much of his time writing. He was always a journalist. And so he had a couple newspapers called El and Hedef and El Muntada, uh, which focused on the human rights violations of Saddam Hussein and, and uh, atrocities being committed against uh, people in, in Iraq. And so that's how we got here. But uh, we were part of many other Chaldeans that came here. There have been Chaldeans that have come here since the early 1900s. Um, but the majority came during uh, the late 1960s as the Ba'ath Party came into power. And then we had subsequent uh, migration. You know, the Iran-Iraq War was one. The U.S. Invaded, invasion of Iraq brought over another 40 to 50,000. So in Michigan today, we did a study in 2016 by a local university. There's 160,000 Chaldeans living in Metro Detroit that contribute $11 billion to the economy. That number seems significant, but we think it's actually much higher now because of additional migration, maybe 200,000 and contributing up to 15 billion to the economy. We have uh, commissioned another university here locally to give us updated numbers that we'll be revealing uh, early next year. That's very interesting. 11 billion is actually very, very impressive and, and it's huge. Now, how big is the total community across the US and besides Detroit what other community what other communities are there in, in the US I understand that San Diego is one of the big ones and then yeah, there is San Diego um, has probably about 100,000 uh, Chaldeans Assyrians living there now and um, part of that was the uh, US a navy actually recruited members of the Chaldean community from Detroit to come to San Diego to translate for them they needed someone to do translate Arabic for them and recruit them to go to San Diego. And that community is thriving as well. We also have some in Northern California, a large Assyrian community numbering about 100,000 in Chicago, and then the other areas, again, Arizona, Nevada. We think it's uh, likely about, uh, you know, five to 600,000 total in the United States, but they have a lot of influence just because of their economic um, uh, prowess. They, they are very engaged in, in entrepreneurship and supporting local economies and have become more and more politically astute. So uh, a small community, but learning the American uh, political system and trying to influence them on advocacy-related issues to support ethnic and religious minorities in the Middle East. Very interesting. Now, let's talk about some of the organizations, the advocacy and also the commercial one. You are the president of the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce, which is one of the leading organizations. When and why was it found? And what's your role as the president? Sure. Uh, in 2003, there was a group of about 15 members of the community that uh, wanted to develop a business organization to uh, represent the growing Chaldean community here in Metro Detroit, mainly because of uh, public relations purposes. So many people, as we started this broadcast, talked about, you know, didn't know what a Chaldean was, why do they own so many businesses? And frankly, because Islam you know, forbid the sale and consumption of alcohol. Christians always owned liquor stores in the Middle East. Well, we own about 90% of them here in Southeast Michigan. And a lot of them are wow. predominantly African-American communities. And they didn't understand, you know, who is this ethnic community? Why do they own all the businesses? And so there was this uh, false narrative that existed. So we knew that we had to get more engaged and involved on the political side. The other thing is, 
there was a mayor in the city of Detroit that was um, targeting Chaldean store owners for the fact that they didn't support him in the recent election. So we wanted to just get more organized as a community, and we did that through the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce. First, initially, just to support Chaldean-owned businesses, and second of all, is to um, help people educate the, the general public about the contributions we're making in the region. So that committee in uh, 2003 now has, uh, uh, which was initially started, this organization now, which also also represents the Chaldean Community Foundation, has about 80 employees and runs on a budget of about $20 million every year. A lot of our work on the chamber side is also doing business with those that support the community. More than 35% of our membership is non-Chaldean. We are also engaged in a lot of economic uh, development opportunities uh, in, in many local municipalities. And just to give you a sense of that, the study also said that besides Chaldean owning a lot of convenience and liquor stores, they own the majority of hotels in the entire state of Michigan. Many of them are in real estate development. They're also very um, uh, involved in, in many retail establishments, including restaurants. So this small community of 160,000 owns more than 25,000 businesses here in the state of Michigan. That is very impressive. This takes us to the Kurdistan region. Uh, you just recently had a trip with the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce to Kurdistan. What was the purpose of the visit? And how was it? How was the turnout? Well, is the nonprofit arm of the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce is the Chaldean Community Foundation. And its mission really is to provide social and human services. We have a, a facility here in Michigan that provides services to nearly 40,000 individuals a year. We help them learn English. We help them with job placement. Uh, we help them with loans. We guarantee loans so that they could buy a car to get to and from work. We help them with their immigration and citizenship applications. We do affordable housing, many other things. And it's not just for the Chaldean communities, for anyone that walks through our door. And a matter of fact, more than 25% of the people we serve are non-Chaldean. We wanted to see if we could duplicate those services, not only to provide economic development for our community in northern Iraq, but also uh, support them with the humanitarian efforts. So this mission was unique. We actually went to um, support um, a U.S. congressional delegation that was in the region. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who was a great friend to Kurdistan, uh, actually had and asked me if I would join her um, and and. and let me know that she was going and who else she should be meeting with. So we helped facilitate some meetings with the four members of Congress and uh, the U.S. ambassador and others with uh, some of the Christian leaders in the area, um, including the Chaldean Catholic bishops and some of our elected leaders in the Nineveh Plain. So that was the in initial intention of the trip, uh, but it became so much more. I mean, besides uh, those meetings, we had about uh, 12 members of our community here locally from Detroit that just wanted to go back and see where their parents were born or where they lived 30, 40 years ago. And it was an emotional trip for many of them. But the focus was initially this congressional trip and a lot of the advocacy that we've been doing in the region, which I could share with you if interested. Yeah, absolutely. I want to know if you had the opportunity to visit Nineveh Plains, uh, where the majority of the Chaldean and Assyrian community is located. Yeah, we did. Um, I first want to just tell you uh, what great hospitality we had from, um, you know, the Kurdish people, the Kurdish Dan regional government. We had uh, the minister 
of Transportation and Communications, Mr. Anu Abdoka, um, who was very supportive of us. And then the local KRG Washington, D.C. office uh, was very helpful in facilitating meetings for us. Um, Desko Sherwani here locally in the U.S. also accompanied our trip and was with us along um, the duration in most of our meetings. So uh, we had, um, I think we were just very pleasantly surprised at just how beautiful Kurdistan was and, and, and all the economic development taking place in Erbil where we stayed. Uh, we had a chance to meet with uh, the prime minister and many ministers in different departments as it relates to uh, our, our visit to the Nineveh Plain. We did go to the Nineveh Plain a couple days. Uh, uh, we were escorted by some friends uh, through the help of Governor Nejim al-Jabudi, who was recently here in Detroit and visited us. And so we went all the way to Mosul. But I'm telling you this because there was such a disparity between what we saw in beautiful Kurdistan and in Erbil, and then the neglect that we saw, unfortunately, in the Nineveh Plain, you know, going to places like Tilkef, which is home to the majority of the Chaldeans here in Detroit, and seeing that uh, what ISIS and Daesh did to, to the village, and the fact that only 30 or 40 Chaldean families remain in which was once 100% a Christian uh, village. And so our focus was trying to figure out what is a long-term solution in that area. And uh, part of what we want to do is we listen to the people there. We've hired some local contractors that live in El Kosh, and we're, we've developed a plan to hopefully create what is called an administrative region uh, in that area. We want to stop the travel restrictions that exist. This area is disputed. We're hoping that it could be resolved between the Kurdistan regional government and Iraq central government. We're also addressing demographic shifts, the constant uh, harassment and, and intimidation of minorities, not just the Chaldeans and the Assyrians, but also the Yazidis. This was really the main purpose of our visit and having the ability to see what we did firsthand uh, allowed us to come back with some additional efforts with the U.S. congressional members and our government here in the America to try to resolve some of these issues. Now, the Chaldean and Assyrian communities, who are also an indigenous component of the Kurdistan region, are also split in, in within Iraq. Some areas fall outside the Kurdistan region, which are disputed in the, in the area that we just discussed, Nineveh Plains, and some are even further south. What is your vision for those areas, especially for Nineveh Plains? How would you describe a perfect uh, solution for that? Yeah, we uh, we actually had the uh, ability to discuss this firsthand with Prime Minister Barzani, who um, immediately uh, lent his, his full support, which we are very thankful for. But the vision is this. If we could have a self-administered area, not not anything no, nothing autonomous, but a self-administered area where we can have local police, local members of our community policing their villages tied to a bigger government, right? That's the focus. We want to have local policing, self-administration, um, and the ability uh, to help rebuild and, and support the, the locals that are currently there. We have a few hundred thousand members of our community that are still displaced in places like Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey. You know, God willing, they may return. Life in those countries is no better for them. It takes eight to 10 years for them to even be considered to come to the United States. So if we could give them a sense of security, a sense of hope, um, and, and create long-term sustainability in the region, we're hopeful that the remaining uh, couple hundred, you know, 200, 300,000 Christians that remain in Iraq will want to stay in their ancestral lands. We know that 
if we don't preserve the Nineveh plain, eventually our identity, our history, our culture, our language will all disappear. Yeah, so do you envision a model similar to Ankawa, which Very was granted so. granted local so, sort of local autonomy or local administration, self administration? Yeah. yeah, there's been yeah. so there's been a lot of talk about Article 140 versus Article 125, but what it is is just providing self administrative rights, like uh, what what you see in Ankawa. Absolutely. Okay, personally, I I would see it more feasible or more practical for Nineveh Plain to be self-administrating or have some form of semi-autonomy, but be part of the KRG, so the entire area is attached. What is your views on that? Well, we, we addressed this with um, with the members and, and really um, all the governors we saw. I mean, um, the challenge is that area should not be split. I mean, you look at pre-ISIS, right? It really wasn't divided. And now we're dealing with multiple factions, multiple governments, even multiple, unfortunately, military forces in the area. And and that has to be resolved. In order for our community to thrive, we have to resolve these disputed areas. And there's been talk about um, creating administrative units, or um, but not just for the Christians. We think this, this could be a holistic solution. It could resolve many issues dealing with the Shebeks, the Yazidis, the Christians, and so that they all feel as if they have administrative rights and there won't be any issues with demographic shifts or people taking other people's land, but rather having self-administration. And if that is done, this community here in Detroit, I think, will be very happy to support the community. It'll likely be done through a referendum. And, you know, you and I could talk about this, but at the end of the day, those people there should decide, you know, who they're associated with. They want security, right? They want absolutely. To have, absolutely. They want to have equality, and you just have to ask yourself, what part of the country are they already receiving that, right? And I think that's what's going to help shape, you know, what these borders should be. But at the end of the day, it's very important we come up with an administrative solution. And I'm happy over the last few weeks there's been a lot of discussion about Article 140 and even Article 125, and I'm hopeful that there'll be a resolution. But um, you know. A lot of things in Iraq don't ever get done. We're trying to make it make that change. Yeah, absolutely. I could I couldn't agree more. It's very complicated in Iraq. Now I want to note that we're proud uh, our mission here in Washington D.C. We're so proud that we have great relations with the Chaldean and Syrian communities in America, and we're honored to work closely with you all in Michigan. How are your relations with other Iraqi and Kurdistani communities in America? Yeah, we, we've always had a, a strong relationship. I think um, what's, what's uh, happened over the last few years is uh, initially we were neglected as a community, not so much with the KRG mission in Washington. We've always had a very strong relationship. Uh, you know, Representative Bayan and uh, Cockdesco and others have just been uh, phenomenal partners with us. Matter of fact, we're often uh, hosting delegations. Uh, we recently hosted Dr. Adi Tatar from um, uh, the Hook. We talked a lot about that region. Uh, part of uh, what we came back with, by the way, after returning from the Kurdistan region, is we're working on creating a sister state between the Hook and the state of Michigan. Uh, that's how much we appreciate Dr. Adi and the work that he's doing there and that our community is doing real well in that region. 
Uh, but we've always had a very strong uh, relationship. We communicate often. We've hosted many uh, leaders from the Kurdistan region. But more recently, that's also been many Iraqi leaders. I told you that uh, Najib al Jabouri, the governor of Nineveh, was just in town and he visited us. And we have a, a good working relationship with the um, the central government and the uh, U.S. embassy, the Iraqi embassy to the U.S. and the local consulate. Not as strong as the Kurdish uh, uh, partnership, but I think they're starting to realize, uh, you know, just how important this community is. We often get a lot of lip service. You know, I'm not one to just tell you that everything is so great. Uh, you know, there was 100,000 Christians in Basra. Now there's really none. None. We only have a, tens of thousands remaining in, in Baghdad. There used to be half a million. And so I, I uh, at this point, we don't have much to lose with the Iraqi central government. We just tell them that, that uh, we're tired of the lip service. If they want the contributions that our community could bring, great. But the sad reality is most people that still live there will leave if they could. And we have to change that mentality. We have to give them hope. It can't just be in the Kurdistan region. It needs to be in all of Iraq. And if these uh, elected officials really are focused on helping uh, the, their, their citizens, that they have to do better. And unfortunately, what I witnessed when I was there is everyone's aligned with someone, right? It's either you're aligned with Iran, you're aligned with a specific military force, you might be aligned with Kurdistan. At the end of the day, who's aligned to support the people that are living there, giving them the resources that they want, the security that they need? And that, that was the biggest struggle out of it. So on on the Iraqi side, how, how what is your impression? How is there an understanding? Do you see any improvements for resolving this issue? It's you know you you said it earlier. It's always very complicated with Iraq. There's been a lot of turnover, and um, I don't think they really understand the community because we're so small now in that that part of the country that we've always been marginalized. Um, it's eye-opening to them. I, I do believe that anytime they get a U.S. delegation or like the prime minister of Italy who's there now or the president of Hungary that just visited, they always bring up, you know, how is the Christian community? How are the Chaldeans faring? What are we doing? They've, they've been much more supportive to us, I think, than others. I went to the Nineveh plane. If Iraqi government was so great, it would look as beautiful as Mosul. Why aren't our villages rebuilt you know, in that part of the world? Why is that community continue to be marginalized, neglected? That's that's the challenge I see. And we just have to have louder voices. We've always been a community or a minority that think our voices couldn't be heard. And we have to do that here from the U.S. side. And I think we're, you know, we're, we're trying to do some of that. We're also going to help economically. I mean, one of the other um, results of the trip is we've created a microloan fund to help our business owners in Erbil and Dahuk and the Nineveh Plain. We're going to raise a million dollars to support small business startup. Where I told you about the sister city uh, relationship, sister state relationship that we're working on. We're also working with uh, our bishop in Erbil to create uh, hopefully a dental school uh, in association with his medical, his hospital, and, um, and the Catholic university that's in there. Um, there's many other opportunities I think that we're looking at, but our trip was very fruitful, but it, we need to do more of it. We're going to start planning annual congressional delegations to the region, which I think could bring and shed light on the challenges that the Christians and other communities are facing. That's very uh, impressive and very great ideas and great steps. And how else do you think these ties between the Kurdistan region and the Iraqi government and the Chaldean community can be improved? Well, we 
We have a plan now that we've shared with uh, both the central government and the Kurdistan regional government uh, regarding the Nineveh plan. You know, that's that's the first initiative that, that we have moved forward. And uh, it was clear again from Prime Minister Barzani that he supports this initiative. We want to hear the same from the central government that um, it's true. I mean, we always hear, oh, you guys are Iraq's indigenous people. This is your land as, as it is as much as anybody else. But there are still... An, an unequal application of the law when it comes to Christians versus Muslim issues, when it comes to um, rebuilding ancestral lands, when it comes to equal opportunity. You know, it's one thing to, to talk about how we're all equal, but we need action from the central government. Let's see if they support this initiative as much as, as it's supported in Kurdistan. Uh, we need everybody on board to provide long-term sustainability to the community. We think we have a plan. We need some support from both sides. These issues are being uh, risen. They're, they're, bringing, they're being brought up by our congressional members, but we shouldn't have to go through the U.S. congressional members. Our people should have their own voice there. We're going to continue to support them, but uh, we, we really need the central government to act on our requests. Very well. You mentioned the central government, the KRG, and the congressional side. The support that you get from the congressional leaders. What is the Department of State's role or stance on this issue? How are they supporting this? You know, for the first time in a while, they, it seems as if they shifted. Um, their response to us was always like that Iraq is a sovereign nation and we really can't get involved. We shared with them this plan to create an administrative unit that, that it could be a solution for all the minorities and, and, um, for the first time, they are reviewing it, and they actually have told us that there may be an opportunity in which they could also send it to the U.S. ambassador to encourage the prime minister in Iraq to uh, in Baghdad to review it. And so that's been a shift for us. Um, you know, the other challenge here in America is, you know, we have political parties, right? So now the Democrats are in control. Previously, it was the Republicans under President Trump. There was a lot of aid coming to the Nineveh Plain to help those those areas. Uh, that aid has now shifted. So we're actually trying to change the mentality even of our U.S. government about where they should be providing aid and how they should support it. And just to that you know, issue, I mean, just to tell you how strong our relationship is with the KRG mission in Washington, we are working with them to even expand the Kurdish caucus because we know if there's a strong Kurdistan, it means that we'll have a strong community there as well. And so we are working on, uh, on many issues jointly, uh, but the State Department has always been lagging. We've been working more through our congressional members and directly through the administration. It's good to see, though, that uh, they're finally coming around. We have a big annual dinner in April, and they're going to be coming to Detroit along with many of our elected leaders. And hopefully by then we can have some movement on, on some of the requests that we've been making. Very well said, and thank you for the support and the coordination. Thank you. Would you like to add anything else before we end the interview? Well, just um, how much I enjoyed the visit and I'm looking forward to uh, going back to Kurdistan and, and then uh, other parts of Iraq. Um, as I mentioned, it was a very emotional trip for many of the members that uh, we were with. And there's uh, an opportunity now to do an annual delegation. Uh, there's probably uh, 50 to 100 members of our of our chamber and community that would like to go next year. We're just trying to figure out how we could uh, 
um, really manage the expectations and have such a large group traveling to the region. But uh, it was great to see Ankawa and um, all the other villages that were doing so well, the beautiful countryside. Um, I uh, just tell you, I really enjoyed the, the trip and I'm looking forward to going back. Uh, but more importantly, looking forward to getting some work done to help the community there so that they could remain in their ancestral lands. On behalf of the KRG representation in the U.S., thank you so much for the support, and we look forward to further collaboration and coordination and work closely together. It's a great partnership. Indeed. And a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You too. You too. And thank you so much for the interview. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast either on Buzzsprouts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa. USA.